Welcome back to our Euro 2020 Daily Show. We are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna's Euro 2020 Daily Show. Now, I know I promised you initially that these were just going to be Monday to Friday, but I don't think that's fair. I think seeing as we're calling it Euro 2020 Daily, we have to get something out every single day. So that's what we're going to do. Now, I want to apologise, first of all, that there was no show yesterday. I was called in to work at the last minute in order to replace uh, somebody on a show who couldn't make it. So that's why I wasn't able to do that early morning stream for you um, where we were looking at uh, the Italy game in advance. But we're here now. We're here Saturday morning. Um, The sun is shining again. The weather here in London is absolutely wonderful. And it really, really feels like summer now. It really feels um, great being able to kind of chill out watch the football without the stresses that come with watching our club. Um, I had a great time last night, barbecue in the garden, some friends over, some nice ice cold beers. And we put the TV outside and sat around it and watched the football and really, really enjoyed it. So I'm absolutely buzzing now. I was excited about the tournament in the build-up, but now that it's underway um, and I kind of got a little bit of a taste of what the next month is going to be like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so excited. I really, really am. And What a way to kick off the tournament. I know a lot of you guys who follow me on social media will know that I do a lot of work on Italian football. It is, you know, outside of my interest in Arsenal, it's what I enjoy the most. You know, if you told me most days, most Sundays, would I rather watch the Super Sunday game or would I rather sit there and enjoy uh, a great game of Serie A in the evening? I'll often pick the Serie A evening spot because, slot I should say, because I do you know, have a real interest in Italian football, which made last night's game even more special for me. Now, you know, I think when you watch a team and you've got an investment in them, and I'm look, I'm not Italian. I don't claim to be Italian or anything like that. But when you watch a league week in, week out, and you spend so much of your working life almost trying to persuade people that the Italian standard of football is is a lot higher than people give it credit for, that many of these players are really top footballers, um, to then see them go out on the pitch and do what they did last night and absolutely prove that to everybody else was really um, was really pleasing to see. And I mean, what a perfect way to start the tournament. As I said, you know, kick off in Rome, the eternal city. Um, there are very few more iconic stadiums in European football than the Stadio Olimpico. And that was where the tournament kicked off. An incredible opening ceremony uh, finished off by the brilliant Andrea Bocelli. I mean, what more could you want than sun, barbecue, (laughs) Andrea Bocelli and a a good Italian performance? I thought it was sensational. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, You know, we talked a lot in the build-up to the tournament about how... Italy were kind of this side where the expectation levels had had gone down and 
that was off the back of them not making the last World Cup. And, and, and that was des- uh, described as a disaster, an apocalypse uh, back in, in, in Italy by the press at the time. And it felt like a reset that was very much needed for Italian football. You know, that some of the tactics were a little bit outdated. I think at times they'd almost stuck to their principles too much and not really adapted with the times and not really moved forward. And I think what missing out on the last World Cup gave Italy the opportunity to do was almost press that reset button. Look at some of the players that had been in and around um, in and around the group, in and around the squad and say, actually, now, you know, it's time to move on from you and blood through some younger players. And that is exactly what Roberto... <coughs> Apologies, I've got really bad hay fever. Sorry, that is exactly what Roberto Mancini, um, you know, has done. He's found that perfect blend between youth and experience. You looked at somebody like uh, Chiellini last night, who, you know, many people have written off. You know, Chiellini is yet to sign a new contract with Juventus. His contract expires at the end of this, uh, or at the end of this month, officially. And he's come in and he's played for Italy and he's performed last night, I thought, to such an incredibly high level. And a lot of people talk about age and they talk about fitness and they talk about all of that in a tournament like this. And I know, obviously, there's a quick turnaround time between games, but this is just a month in which these athletes need to be at their peak. And and, and someone like Chiellini, who hasn't played a lot of football this season, um, it is more than capable of, of performing to a very good level for Italy throughout this competition. And Roberto Mancini's recognised that. He's recognised the need, as I say, to blend the incredible experience that somebody like Chiellini and Benucci, who was playing alongside him, have uh, with the the enthusiasm and the, um, you know, the quality and the talent and the dynamism of the likes of Nicolo Barella, Manuel Locatelli, um, Spinazzola, you know, Insigne, um, Immobile. There is there is a really nice blend in that Italian side. And I've got to admit, you know, when the game started and I saw how, how Turkey had set up, Turkey sat very, very deep. And I actually thought were um, surprisingly, what's the word? I thought they were surprisingly afraid of Italy. Now I get it. You know, you're, you're playing essentially away uh, to Italy. I know that on the fixture thing, it was Turkey first. And that's why Italy didn't wear their blue strip. I know a lot of people were kind of asking questions about that on social media as the game kicked off. Why aren't Italy wearing their iconic blue strip? Well, that was why, because according to the draw, technically Turkey were the home side in that one or the side drawn first. So you looked at it and you went, you know, this is a decent Turkish side with some really decent players. Burak Yilmaz up top uh, just won the title in France. Zeki Celik just won the title in France. Uh, you looked at how Hakan Chalanolu. You looked at some of the other players that were available to Senor Gunes, and you wondered actually why Turkey didn't take the game a little bit more to the Italians in the opening exchanges. But I think as the game went on, it became abundantly clear that these were two sides on a completely different level. Um Italy were moving the ball around really incisively, really sharply, actually. And up to a certain point, looked really good. When they got towards the um, the edge of the penalty area, they were met by essentially two banks of, um, of Turkish defence. And it became really, really difficult. And they were limited to shots from distance. And, you know, you kind of looked at it and you went, this is where, you know, that, that old school patience that is 
often renowned with Italian sides, has to be on display here. You needed them to to take their time to realise that if they continued to apply the level of pressure that they did on this Turkish defence, they were eventually going to find their breakthrough. And to not rush things and to not get carried away and to not leave spaces in behind. And there was one incident in the second half before Italy found the breakthrough where they took a free kick and they, you know, they were so focused on, on getting that breakthrough that they allowed, uh, once the ball was cleared, Cengiz Under to break free. And, you know, fortunately, Italy had enough players back and they were able to deal with this situation. But the point here is that Italy, for the most part, remained incredibly patient and knew that if they kept working away, if they kept pulling the Turkish defence from right to left and switching the play the way they did and getting the likes of Spinazzola in particular up and down on the left-hand side, um, you know, into into positions, they would be able to break this Turkish defence down. And look, they were somewhat fortuitous in the way that the first goal came about, but you cannot deny that they definitely, definitely deserved it. Um, it was good work down the right-hand side and Berardi smashed the ball across the box. And look, you know, Mary Demiral, who plays his football in Italy, won't have liked that. You know, he won't have enjoyed that scoring um, in the country in which he plays his football you know, an own goal for his his beloved Turkey. But Tiro Immobile was queuing up behind him. So it was one of those ones where the ball was hit at him at a really awkward height and he kind of had to make a decision whether to go with his knee, whether to go with his leg, whether to head it, whether to chest it. And in the end, he just got so muddled up. He made no, um, he made no decision and he ended up deflecting the ball back into his own goal. And then Italy came again. And after a good save from the goalkeeper, the Turkish goalkeeper looked pretty good, actually. Um, the ball fell to Chiro Immobile and there was the second. And the third was a finish from Insigne that he'd been trying to pull off all night. He'd got into that position on a number of occasions throughout the game. It was trademark Insigne to just open up his foot and, and find the far corner. Really expertly done. Really good finish. And, you know, Italy were good value for the win. There's no doubt about that. And I think, you know, it's the perfect start, obviously, for Roberto Mancini's side at a little part of me feels like, you know, you don't want to peak too early in a tournament like this. But when I consider Turkey's performance and how average they were and how poor they were, um, probably is probably a better term. I, I don't think Italy peaked last night. I just think that they were just uh, leagues above the Turkish side. And look, a lot of people had been building up Turkey at the start of this competition, including myself. I looked at the squad and I thought, you know, it's a pretty decent squad on paper. I looked at Senor Gunes' previous record uh, as a manager and in charge of uh, of Turkey specifically. And I looked at, or I took into consideration the sort of passion, the fight, the desire that they normally show when representing their country. And I can say that because um, I'm from a part of the world where, you know, we, we live on an island with many Turkish people. Um, I've got many Turkish friends here in North London because there's a huge Turkish community. I went to school with lots of Turkish friends. Some of my best friends are Turkish. And just the way they talk about their national team and the way they get into it when a tournament like this comes along and they get into it, um, you knew or you felt that it was going to be a display at the very least, even if lacking quality, it was going to be a display that was at least full of passion. And I was actually disappointed in Turkey because I didn't think... They, they fought as well as they needed to. I didn't think they battled as well as they needed to. I thought tactically they were nowhere near Roberto Mancini's side, couldn't lay a glove on, glove on them. And I think that Turkish onlookers would be extremely disappointed by what they saw. 
But that's not to say that Roberto Mancini hasn't done a brilliant job with this Italian side. He's turned their fortunes around. Uh, I think that's nine games in a row in which they've not conceded a goal. But aside from that, because the, the you know, Mourinho talked about football heritage. Well, football heritage when it comes to Italy is being stubborn defensively, is not conceding goals. But with this Italy side, what you saw in addition to that was a zip and a tempo in the way they moved the ball. Um, but what you also saw was a pressing from the front, the kind of which uh, led to, I think it was, was it the third goal where the goalkeeper uh, gave the ball away because Italy were pressing the defensive, uh, Turkey's defensive options up really high at the pitch. But it was almost like a, a Italy suffocated Turkey with a combination of some really good, accurate and incisive passing, moving the ball with a zip and a tempo, but also being able to squeeze them back um, onto the edge of their own box. They they suffocated them, um, they strangled them and they found their breakthroughs. And, and, and from then on, it was one-way traffic. It was one-way traffic all night, but, you know, Italy have that ability now to do that as well. And look, I'm not saying Italy are going to go on and win the tournament. You know, we've seen one game in the competition, it would be foolish to kind of overreact and say that they're the best team in the competition. But, you know, in the lead up, as I said, everybody kind of went big on on Turkey being dark horses. I think unless they dramatically improve in the next game, you can completely wipe away that narrative. I think a lot of people went big on Italy, who no, not many people gave a chance of winning the competition prior. But as the kind of the tournament approached and as it got closer and closer, I think a lot of people were looking at that Italian squad and going, actually, why can't they go the distance? And I said on, on the 90 Min show yesterday, which you can check out on the 90 Min YouTube channel, that I felt that the, the pressure level and the expectation level around Italy had risen dramatically. And I wasn't sure if that was going to be a good thing. But to get their first win under their belt after the first game, to do it in the manner that they did it, I think is is Italy getting the monkey off their back early doors. And I really look forward to seeing how they progress and continue in the tournament. As I said already, I've got an interest in Italy because I'm a huge Italian football fan. I watch a lot of these players week in, week out. And, and you know, I think you do feel more invested when that's the case. Um, and fingers crossed they, they can go all the way. I'd be absolutely delighted for them. Let's go over to the live chat box. Get your questions in. We'll pick out a couple of questions before we uh, have a couple of questions and comments before uh, we wrap up today's edition of the Euro 2020 Daily. Don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow, but we'll be back a little bit later on because what we're going to do is we're going to do a live show in the evening where we're going to discuss England versus Croatia. Um, I think that's probably best. I think that's the game of the biggest interest tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, rather than preview it because it's really difficult to do so not knowing what Gareth Southgate's going to do how he's going to go about it um then I think well what we'll do is we'll do a reaction to it and we'll do that reaction uh either for either late tomorrow night or first thing Monday morning so you'll be able to get that uh right here on the YouTube channel if you're watching us via the video format or if you prefer and if you are an audio listener you can also access it there as well so as I say we'll be bringing you stuff all throughout the European Championships. I can see in the chat boxes a few Arsenal-related questions coming in. Save them uh, because we're going to be putting out another show um, in a little bit 
where we're going to be talking about Arsenal and the transfer rumours and the latest news with regards to the gunner. So hold fire on the Arsenal stuff and you can put those co uh, questions in the comments uh, on that one and I'll pick those up or, of course, next time we're live as well. Um, more than happy to pick up Arsenal stuff. But this is our Euro show, so we're going to keep the focus on the Euros uh, for now. Let's go over to this one from Arjit. He says, starting to warm up to Italy, Harry. Their midfield is one of the best in the tournament. Do you think Mancini is underrated as a manager? Broke City's PL drought with the Aguero moment and won in Serie A too. I do think that Roberto Mancini is one of the top coaches in European football. I really do. I think he's fantastic. Um, I think he's been accused in the past of maybe being a little bit too pragmatic at times, even when he's had kind of really uh, high talented sort of flair players at his disposal. But I think you saw last night that he's um, he's adapted. And that's what all good coaches do. They adapt to the needs of the game. They adapt to football as football develops and football progresses. And one of the people who hasn't done that, for example, would be Jose Mourinho. Uh, hasn't been able to reinvent himself despite claiming he was trying. So somebody like Mancini has shown, in my opinion, with this Italy side, a very different job at international level as well, that he can adapt, that he can change and that he can um, mix it up a little bit. So I do think he's incredibly underrated. I think if he does well in this tournament, he'll get the credit he deserves and rightly so. Going back to Italy's midfield, though, I, yeah, I think Italy's midfield is sensational. I think that Jorginho, who I'd watched a lot of in Italy prior to him coming to the Premier League, I thought was very misunderstood when he first arrived in the UK. There was this kind of, you know, narrative around him where Chelsea fans weren't happy with Sari. And they would pin a lot of that on Jorginho because Jorginho was Sari's man. And the style of play from Jorginho wasn't something that people got their head around necessarily right at the beginning and didn't really understand, in my opinion. And now you're looking at um, Jorginho as a top, top midfielder. And Thomas Tuchel, for example, has found a way of getting the best out of Jorginho. And you see that in the Italy side as well. You've got to remember as well, you looked at that midfield last night of Barella, of... Um, of Jorginho and of Locatelli, but there was no Marco Verratti who is still to come back into this side. And we all know what a fantastic player Marco Verratti is. So yeah, uh, really good midfield. It's definitely their strongest area for sure. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, Gam Solar says, thoughts on Mourinho's England lineup against Croatia on Talk Sport. Let me, um, let me quickly Google that because I don't, remember exactly what it was here we go let's have a look i've got it on my screen now and i'll give you my thoughts uh on that uh where is it where is it let's scroll down surely they've done a graphic for it surely or am i gonna have to read it somewhere hold on a second here we go here it is so jose Mourinho went with henderson in goal he went with walker at right back chill at left back mings and stones rice and phillips in midfield and then he went with Grealish, Mount, Foden and Kane. So I agree with some of it. Um, I don't agree with Henderson in goal. I'd have gone with Pickford. Uh, I think oh, I think Walker at right back is probably a, a fair shout. You know, I think he's been sensational for England and Manchester City over the last few years. I think there's a real shout for Rhys James, though, after the display that he put in in particular in the Champions League final. I agree with Stones at centre-back. I don't agree, though, with Tyrone Mings. There's been a lot of talk about England playing with this back three uh, because they've got some, um, you know, some uh, 
some players missing, notably Harry Maguire, who's not going to be 100% fit uh, for this one. Chilwell over Shaw. Well, we knew Mourinho was going to pick that. In the midfield, though, Rice and Phillips. I'm not a big fan of Calvin Phillips. I'm really not. Um, I think there are better options. I'd rather play Jude Bellingham. Uh, honestly, I would. Um, I'm not big on Phillips. I'm really not. And obviously, Henderson is another player who, over whom there are fitness doubts. Moving on to that front three, Grealish, Mount, Foden, or the three in behind Kane, I should say. Um, I think that's really technically strong. But I think that Gareth Southgate will probably want one player uh, in that three uh, with a little bit more pace, with the kind of explosive pace that will allow him to run in behind Harry Kane when he drops into those deeper spaces. So that's going to be interesting to see how Southgate picks it up. But listen, there are so many options for England at the moment. They're truly blessed in that department. But equally, uh, there is a concern that Gareth Southgate may overthink things. Will he veer away from what he's done in the past? Or should we be looking at what he's done at the past uh, in order to give us a clue and a hint as to how he may deploy the team tomorrow? It's going to be a really interesting game. I think what always happens with England is there's always an overhype. And I feel like with England, um, at times, they can be a little bit disrespectful to their opponents. And I feel like the those who have written Croatia off are being disrespectful because I know a couple of those players have aged a little bit. But I tell you one thing, I'd rather have a midfield of Kovacic um, Brozovic and Modric then then be talking about Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips and you know that that's the reality but yeah I think there's there's a little bit of disrespect to, towards Croatia and um you know we'll see tomorrow if England can get the job done uh Omar says uh, Harry are you sure about Chalanoglu and Celik after their displays last night honestly Omar I've not been sure about either of them. um in you know even prior to last night Chalanoglu looks good in Serie A, had a decent season with AC Milan. I think it's harsh to judge him on one game last night, but, you know, Chalanoglu for me is someone we should consider purely because he's available on a free. If you were talking about investing a significant amount of money in uh, on him, I'd, I'd have my reservations about it. Uh, Zeki Celik, you know, did all right, but, you know, he had to deal with Spinazzola coming at him. He had to deal with Insignia uh, pulling out there time and time again. So, again, I think it's really difficult Um I think it's really difficult, in my opinion, to um, to, to judge them based on that one game, if I'm honest. Uh, Josh Hunter says, do you think Turkey's lack of a focal point the same way Italy had Berardi made their attack harder to orchestr uh, orchestrate? Yeah, and, you know, you're right to um, mention Berardi because even though he was playing from the right for Italy, he was very much the physical presence along their front line and if you looked at all the long balls that did go out um, from the Italian defence when they did try and be a little bit more direct they were aimed uh, towards Berardi um, you know another Sassuolo player by the way along with Locatelli uh, but yeah you know Berardi gave them that presence in that kind of area the kind of presence that I think I expected Burak Yilmaz to give to Turkey but he didn't really and even when he did, I don't think people got close enough to him. So I thought it was really, really difficult uh, for Turkey to get out. But there you go. Uh, big good morning to Westbird and to Inter, who have just joined us as well. Hope you're all good. Um, we're just about to wrap up our Euro 2020 daily. But as I say, uh, I'll be dropping another episode a little bit later on. It is a pre-record uh, with my thoughts on Arsenal's reported pursuit of Ben White, um, and a couple of other bits and pieces with regards to uh, the interest in uh, or 
or the talk, sorry, I should say, uh, about Emil Smith-Rowe's new contract and the news that Arsenal have supposedly opened contract talks with Kieran Tierney. So there's lots to react to in that, and that is going to be dropping in around about a couple of hours' time. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled on that, and I will share it with you in a bit. I'll catch you all very soon. Thank you for tuning in to another live edition of our Euro 2020 Daily Show. As I say, we'll be back with the next one to react on. England versus Croatia. What a big game that's going to be. The whole country is going to come to a standstill, I'm sure, uh, between 2 and 4 p.m. tomorrow. I'll catch you all soon with very... Uh, lost my words again. I'll catch you all very soon, I should say, with more. Until next time, take care. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.